Hello, and thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. This is an image that I made a black and white from the Wallowa Mountains, a really beautiful spot out in northeastern Oregon. It's really one of my favorite spots in Oregon, but I probably said that about a lot of these photographs and a lot of these places I've been. This was a really special one. I, I was here, I think this is one of the furthest areas in the backcountry that I've been in the Wallowa Mountains. And maybe for a lot of people that are more experienced with it, it wouldn't seem like that far. But that's one thing I really love about backpacking and about traveling uh, outdoors and taking photographs is getting to a spot that's really interesting and then staying kind of local to that spot for a couple days or three days, four days something around 72 to 100 hours or so. And I've heard that from other photographers in the past, other ones that have bigger careers than I do, where they, they really want to stay there for about three days. And after that, that familiarity familiarity that they get from their experience is what really allows them to communicate the story of what's going on in that area through their photographs in the most interesting way. Something I've heard about portfolio building in the past, but I love that about this of getting to stay there and see the sunrise and sunset and sunrise again in the same location and kind of work it out and feel what the different moods of, of that environment look like during different times of day. But I love how crisp and clean and, uh, and kind of the, the mist, the fog that's coming up on top of the lake as it's mirrored is really cool. It's such a dramatic landscape. Always been one of my favorites. You can see more of my work at billynewmanphoto.com. You can check out some of my photo books on Amazon. I think you can look up uh, Billy Newman under the authors section there and see uh, some of the photo books on film, on the desert, on surrealism, on camping. Some cool stuff over there. So last time I was on the podcast, I was talking about knives. I was talking about pocket knives. I was talking about steel. I was talking about different types of steel that you can use in your pocket knife or that pocket knife makers use in the pocket knives that they sell you, I suppose is what I meant. And I kind of wanted to continue on with uh, some of that stuff today. And then, uh, I don't know, maybe the other everyday carry kind of stuff that comes around that I've been thinking about a little bit too. But I was thinking about um, the couple knives that I have. So I was kind of going deep into like, well, there's this type of steel and there's this type of steel and this doesn't rust and this is hard and whatever that is. But I was going to kind of jump in and just kind of go to the knives that I have. So I mentioned the Gerber Gator. I was going to mention three knives. I think that'd be good. These are kind of the three that I'm into right now. But um, I was going to mention the Gerber Gator. That's that uh, like three and a half inch blade. You can get that real inexpensive. It's probably like 40 bucks tops at most places. I picked mine up at Bymart a couple years ago. It's held up great. The coating on it's sort of a rubberized coating that's held up great with the ozone stuff. And they probably wear out over a number of years. That's really fine with me. And uh, it's a sharp knife. It's D2 steel. It works really well for most of the stuff that I do. But in a lot of ways, it's kind of my cutting around knife. So I have it in my, uh, my side pocket when I'm doing some outdoor stuff. I can kind of carve on a tree. I can chop on some stuff. I can put a, you know, like put an X in a tree when I'm marking my campsite or something like that. It's fun. I can kind of chop up a whatever if I need to. I can open a box. I can do all those kind of things. And I feel pretty good about its length and its use and its durability in the outdoors. Um, so that one I kind of carry on me when I'm doing a little bit more outdoorsy stuff. I'm actually kind of going out for a bit. But that's sort of the in-the-pocket knife. And really when it extends, it's about eight inches. And it's got like a pretty solid bit of grip to it so it really feels like there's something in your hand and it really feels like there's a big thing in your pocket too so that's kind of why i only carry it around when i'm actually kind of stepping out into into doing some real camping stuff but the thing that i have with me every day now 
is this little um uh, like two and a half inch or two and a quarter inch uh, Spyderco knife. I really like this one. There's some smaller ones. There's some bigger ones. Uh, they're all kind of like a basic design. They've got uh, sort of a, I guess like a, a broad shaped blade. This one's kind of that, uh, it's not a Scandi blade. I think it's a flat grind. And then uh, Spyderco is sort of known for these big finger hole or you know like on the blade there's like this big uh, circular hole that you kind of put your thumb into and use that to kind of whip out the blade as you're uh, you're unfolding and this has got that locking back design uh so does that gerber gator too i like that locking back folding design and then um in addition to that i've got a really inexpensive full tang knife that i use for some of that uh batoning kind of whacking around stuff and that i keep uh over in an ammo can that i have in my truck here when i'm out camping and stuff then uh, maybe i'll throw that onto a, a backpack uh, clip on the side so that i have it there but that's like a full thing um, i think it's a four inch blade with about a four inch handle four inch usable handle. it's probably a little more than that but so it, en- it ends up being about nine inches or so and it's kind of based off the the uh the sa5p knife i think is what it would be uh, you can look that one up. Cool knives. I really like those. That's actually one I want to get in the future. This is sort of like a Chinese knockoff version of that. So I'll kind of break out the prices in a little bit. But um, but uh, yeah, if you look up those knives, they're like the Rat 3. I think it's kind of pretty similar in style to that. Um, but this one's made by SEMA. SEMA is a Chinese company. I don't know if they even really exist as anything more than that. But I found them online. I found them on Amazon. They have a few different cheap knife options. As it's printed on the blade, they use a, a higher-end steel, at least in comparison at its price point. So I think this blade that I have is a 7CR uh, blade, which is okay. Uh, but it was like $20 for this full-tang knife. And that's really a lot with a micarta handle um, and a sheath, like a Kydex sheath. So it's a great knife to kind of keep in the side over here. I've been using it like when I was saying I go out on those chanterelle picking days. You know, I have like a, I have a camera bag on my side. I've emptied the camera out of it, and then I've got like a, just like a little shopping bag, like a little plastic sack in there. And then as I'm walking around in the forest and stuff, I've I got that full tang knife. I'll pop that out uh, as I find a chanterelle. I'll cut the base of it and then throw it in my bag pop the knife back in and then kind of carry on. So I've been using it for like a lot of like kind of basic harvesting stuff like that. This just kind of been easy, uh, easy side access and stuff for me while I've been, uh, been kind of hunting around doing some foraging stuff, but really a lot of the time it stays in the car and it works really well. And for that kind of a knife and kind of for as often as I've been using it for some stuff, it's sort of like a cool camp knife to kind of like whittle on stuff, you know, or, you know, kind of like dig in, whittle on stuff, whack on stuff. That's sort of the bushcrafting knife. Like last time I was talking about bushcrafting, you know, like batoning through a one inch or a two inch stick or something like that. Um, trying to make a, uh, what is it? Like a tent or a tarp hanger, like an A-frame for a tarp or a frame for like boiling water or I don't know, getting stuff ready for your fire or whatever. It is. And mostly I just kind of use it to like whack up smaller uh, kindling sticks for firewood or feather sticks. Feather sticks are cool. I don't really think that this bushcrafting knife is, has really been sharp enough for it. I kind of like the Spyderco knife a little bit more for some of the smaller uh, smaller feathering stuff. But, uh, but when you really have like a sharp blade, it makes it so much easier. Sharpening is something I want to get into too. But for these feather sticks, it's cool. You get like a piece of kindling, right? Like just kind of a long, like foot-long piece of dry wood that's sort of an inch or half inch thick around, maybe a little thicker than that. 
And then what you do is uh, you, it takes a lot of skill to kind of get used to, but you do this uh, this kind of long and thin carve, like if you were like grating, if you're going to like grate just like a, a little fillet off of that one inch round stick. And then you got all the way down to the end of the stick, like the last like inch or centimeter. And then you pulled up on your cut and then left that little last bit there. And what you get, if you get it thin enough, is that wood will kind of naturally curl up like a little piece of ribbon or something. But it'll kind of curl up and it's going to be this dry, thin wisp of wood that's sort of curled up at the end of your branch there. And then it holds there. And then you repeat that, cut another nice, thin, thin little paper-thin carve of wood off down to the bottom, down to the last centimeter, leave it there, and then you sort of work your way around the whole stick there, and then you kind of work around again a layer up. And as you do that, if you put enough time into it, and it really does take a good bit of processing, but if you do that, um, you can make out in the woods, you can make these feather sticks, which are kind of cool. A lot of the time, you have the tools on you to build a fire or to build a heat source without going into this much labor to try and produce some sort of tool to facilitate this for you. But it is cool to know about if you're working in some conditions that are a little bit more difficult to get a fire going. But you get these uh, these feather sticks set up. You probably have to get a handful of them. And then once you get your kindling set up, you can lay that. You can get your, your kindling or well, you can get just your, your starter going. If you're able to like use like um, one of those fire rods, those ferro rods, you're able to strike that with your knife throw the sparks down onto whatever you have as your fire starter. If you can get that to, to kindle up into a flame, then you put these feather sticks right over it. And then you're able to, because you've kind of cut those, those fillets down into it, the, the air is able to get in between the cuts of the wood that are so thin there. And as it's dry wood, it'll catch fire quickly. The sap in the wood will burn, and then it'll really take off almost like it's a piece of paper. But it has that sustaining quality of being a real piece of wood. So you get a flame, and you get some embers to start burning off of it. And that's a good way to get a flame to build up quickly. Then you're able to also have the kind of thicker pieces of wood attached to it there. So you're able to get kind of the stronger build of the kindling a little earlier on. It's kind of a cool way to do it, but I think really in a lot of ways, Man, it's a lot of uh, preparatory work to get those uh, those pieces ready if you're trying to build a fire in sort of a mobile situation. You know, if you're kind of setting up a base camp or setting up some some sort of uh, you know location where you're going to be you're going to be, and that's where your stuff is. And for whatever reason, you didn't bring any technical gear with you. That might be something that you run into to try and do. Or if you're trying to set up a fire in conditions that are wet or like a little bit damp or uh, in some way, uh, you know, more challenging to get a fire going. I think these are, these are kind of good ways to do that if you're stuck. But really the trick is to not get stuck. And I think like that's kind of the big thing of a lot of the wilderness stuff that I've learned is that um, there's sort of, man, I don't know, there's a couple channels of it. There's a, a whole bunch of stuff that you'd kind of think to worry about uh, as, you know, like I need to start a fire. And then there's sort of a, a whole complicated series of things you can do to, to naturally start a fire if you want to go down that route, good skills to have, good things to learn about. Then there's also sort of another route where uh, you know about the modern world, you know about some of the tools you can get a hold of, and you can kind of cut down the time and the weight and the expense or the expense on yourself that it takes, the resources that you have to give up to get a fire going, to get a thing going when you're out in the woods. And if you're kind of uh, traveling light and trying to travel fast and uh, not really staying in the same locations a lot, it's almost 
a greater expense of your energy and time to try and build a camp with wood and a knife every time you get somewhere than it is to just have a couple pieces that you can uh, bring in and then utilize quickly and then in a clean way you can kind of pull out you don't really risk injury or risk any loss of time and you get kind of a lot of the benefit out of it a one i guess or kind of particularly dropping into that would be like a jet boil or uh, specifically for fire starting stuff, I guess it's what kind of stay in there. Jet boil is sort of one of the fancier ends of that. Really, the most simple way is get cotton swabs and scoop up a bunch of petroleum jelly. You know, like Vaseline, that kind of stuff. You can test this before you go out too, but because uh, some things are like a little different. Um, but the petroleum jelly, I think, is supposed to light up pretty well. So if you have a cotton ball and a little petroleum jelly, one, it's a cosmetic, so you can use that as like a lip balm if you go out which is something that I've been wrecked with before when I go out to, to um, kind of quickly changing drier or higher elevation or colder climates than, uh, than what my skin and pores were kind of used to before. Man, I get burns and stuff in the cold. It's weird how that can be. Or chaps, you know, like chapped lips, split lips, that sort of stuff. But the Vaseline can help a lot for that. But if you have like a little Ziploc bag and some Vaseline uh, cotton swabs and then just like a regular pocket lighter, you can light those up as your fire starter real easy without having to hunt down dry moss and bark on the south side of a tree out in the woods somewhere while you're uh, cold and trying to get a fire going. So you kind of pop one of these out. You hit that with your lighter or you hit that with your ferro rod if you don't have a lighter. But really, I say bring the lighter. You have the, you have the flint with you if you need it. You got the butane. You can have a ferro rod as a backup if you feel like it. But for a lot of the kind of lighter, just a few day kind of things, it's tricky, man, if you get a lighter that goes bad. But I haven't really heard of uh, like hunters or kind of longer term, 14 plus day outdoorsmen uh, going out with things that are way different than even just like a regular Bic lighter. The uh, the ferro rods are cool, though. They they seem to help a lot. But I think there's some some cool stuff that you can do. Or there's the reliability of a lighter that I've had for a long time is, uh, has kind of always helped me out or been fine for a lot of the stuff that I've done for the uh shorter periods of time that I've been out. But yeah, if you can hit that fire starter and then put that under um, some kindling and stuff, you can get a fire going pretty easy. In a lot of ways, I haven't really jumped into doing a lot of uh, cold weather camping this year or cold weather kind of remote camping, but the man, having a fire is great, but also sometimes not having a fire is uh, sort of the way to go too. Like I've been talking about, I've been using a uh, like this uh, portable propane heater with me a lot of the time and that's a lot lighter and a lot cleaner for some of the more simple stuff that you want like a little fire or a little heat source from like if uh if i'm going fishing down at the bank of a lake and uh, this has kind of come up uh just like a week or so ago when i went out to a spot but um but yeah you're fishing down by the side of a lake you want some heat there or something uh and it's kind of nice like if you want to <laughs> catch a fish throw a uh, throw a cast iron skill down and like uh you know make it up there on the side of the bank but um but if uh if you're out and yeah, just kind of carrying that real light kind of two pound or I don't know, three or four pound um, little box down with you, hooking the propane up to it. And then, yeah, boom, you got heater right there. You're throwing your cast and uh, you can kind of kind of manage uh, temperatures that go down a lot more. So it makes uh, just kind of those simple things a lot more comfortable. That's sort of for the car camping based stuff. I wouldn't really ever pack that out with me. But uh, but even for when I'm packing out, I sort of noticed that if I go with a lighter bit of stuff, it, it really ends up being okay a lot of the time so uh sometimes it's cool especially at night to have the big fire and stuff but even for like a lot of the cooking stuff that i do or a lot of the midday stuff that i do if i'm taking a break i really want to just pull out the jet boil from my backpack throw the fuel canister on it fill that uh can up with water 
make a tea or make a coffee or something like that or make a soup or you know whatever uh, kind of kind of backpacking meal might be in there um that that kind of a thing is like or and even just like as the jet boil is like a, a source of heat is pretty cool and then if you have the 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 dry wood and kindling sources around you can use that um as a as a fire starter tool too but uh which have happened a couple times that's kind of an off label use that i don't i don't really recommend and stuff but uh but even just yeah having a quick uh little jet boil punch that on get some water hot heat up your hands and stuff and then kind of rely on your jackets and your your uh, waterproof gear to keep you warm through at least most of the daylight hours and stuff but uh, that's kind of kind of how i've tried to to avoid some of that stuff um but yeah, the knife stuff has been pretty cool. I like uh, yeah working with that gator. The uh, Spyderco Dragonfly is kind of a smaller pocket knife every day, and then uh, yeah, that bigger Sema knife has been pretty cool. Been uh, been digging that for some of the bigger uh, kind of bushcrafting stuff that I got to do. Um, sharpeners, sharpeners are pretty important. I dig sharpening. Uh, I also don't sharpen very much, and so that's kind of one of the things. Is I'm sort of uh, probably most notably a, an irresponsible knife. Uh, owner at least in the sense of uh, trying to keep them sharp so i'm normally more likely to just buy a new 15 dollar knife you know go from one knife to the next knife to the next knife to the next knife as uh, as i notice that the blade on it goes dull you know like i buy I've, that's how it was for the longest time especially kind of early on is you know i kind of afford uh, a cheaper knife that was cool i thought at the time i didn't really know much about it but you know like, hey this is great it's a it's a step up from my my victor knox that I used to carry around. So this is cool, uh, you know, easy folding blade knife or whatever it is, I'll use this. And then by the time it gets dull or it gets kind of shaky in the handle or whatever it is, I end up just kind of tossing the knife and I don't even really ever worry about tooling the knife or sharpening the blade in the knife. And really, a lot of the time, it's not been a, a quality enough blade to really bother to invest that much into. So in some parts, that's my fault from the very beginning. But the thing I'm trying to do now more responsibly is even if it is like a less expensive knife, try and tool that knife to keep it in good shape, but also kind of select a knife that's going to be a fine knife for a longer period of time. I don't think they all have to be brilliant, you know, uh, state of the art knives. You know, there's like 30 or 40 year old buck knives that are made out of 316 steel that people have had around as their hunting knives forever. So I think that's really cool. And that's sort of that thing I was talking about a bit last time on the podcast i'll bring it up again this time too a knife is really a cutting tool you know it's supposed to be just like a sharp blade and so um so it's cool to kind of use that as just that tool and and kind of work that uh that blade down to be a sharp piece for you when you're out in the woods and stuff but for a lot of the time um if it's not like a specialized knife that i'm using for like something a little bit more specific that i'm trying to bring it in for um, and it's just kind of my cutting around knife it really ends up cutting on a lot of stuff which could be sticks or wood or uh, it's just sort of like a tool knife that I use to, you know, like cut fishing line or, or wrap up rope or get something ready on the truck or get something rigged up on my backpack or, um, or whatever it is, you know. Um, so it's kind of like a, a lot of occupancy and that puts a lot of like wear and damage on the blade. And for as little as I'm saying I sharpen it, the blade is really often pretty dull. Like I don't know if it's really like prepped to just do a, an easy – uh, slice through of a lot of stuff or we really like take advantage of that cutting edge on it so uh so yeah sharpening stuff is cool there's a couple of brands that do sharpenings uh, out there you can get them in a lot of places i think the one that i see often is smith's as a sharpener 
They do a lot of kitchen stuff. They do a lot of pocket knife stuff. You can get them at Walmart. You can get them at Bymart. I'm pretty sure. The one I prefer, though, is the brand WorkSharp. WorkSharp you can find in a lot of places, too. They're available online also. And if you're an Oregonian, I think it's a company based out of Ashland, Oregon. Had no idea until I was looking at their pamphlet and trying to figure out which pieces I should get. But uh, WorkSharp, they have a, a number of different sharpening tools. And I guess the reason I kind of elevate them above the Smith stuff at least for uh, for some of the things that I'm kind of interested in, uh, their their tools are just like uh, similarly priced, but like a little bit more robust on the on the work sharp side. So specifically, is this uh, this electric belt sharpener that I'm looking at? Um, that sharpener has uh, way more flexibility, way more robustness, way higher horsepower, uh, just kind of machining to it. The other Smith's kind of knockoff version of it is much more limited, much thinner component pieces, uh, kind of plastic component pieces. Nowhere near the same kind of quality or longevity would be expected in that as like a, a tool. This other piece is sort of like, oh, that's like a, you know, that's like a power tool is sort of what you're looking at there. Also, in addition to that, the WorkSharp stuff has, a, I guess it's like a sharpening bench, you would call it. I think it's like a, a field sharpener. I'm actually pretty interested in this, but uh, I think it's a, a field sharpening piece. It's sort of like a little flat piece that you'd, uh, you bring with you in your, your backpack or in your truck when you're going out on a trip. And you'd have it in your camp or you'd have it with you and uh, to sharpen up a knife. And it really takes more time than I thought it did. You know, you kind of look at a, a quick video or something and you look at a guy kind of do eight quick whacks on a sharpener. And then, yep, yeah, there you go. Cutting the hair off my arm in no time. But really for a lot of this stuff, after I've kind of beat on a knife for a bit, it takes like a half hour to kind of work the two sides of a knife on a whetstone and grind it down with an electric sharpener, man, it's like, you know, a pass, two passes or whatever it is. It kind of re reangles that, that grind immediately. Um, but if you're just kind of rubbing that blade against the stone, it takes a long time to, to sort of work in the sharpness to it. Um, you know, and really level up that knife to a, a higher level. But, uh, but yeah, this work sharp, um, uh, sharpening bench is pretty cool. It's kind of a little a little platform. It's got these angle guides on it, so you can put the knife on that angle, and then cut across that flat surface, uh, and then kind of put the right angle grind in on your uh, your cutting knife. Then on the side of it, I think it has like a, a ceramic alignment rod. You've probably seen those in your kitchen or something too. You know, you, you run your kitchen knife, or you've seen a chef or something before they they get going on a piece of meat or their vegetables or whatever. You see a little chef video. And they'll kind of run the, their chef knife across this uh, this sort of solid rod that they put down to the table. And they'll shwink, 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 shwink. And then they they align the blade by kind of coming in on the right cut and then the left cut of the blade from the, I guess, from the hilt. Is that by your the top of your hand there when you grab it? But sort of from the hilt end to the point, you and then uh, you kind of... I guess it pushes the atoms, it pushes the blade, you know, whatever little kind of microscopic warbles you'd have, those little meanders that you'd have and what you'd want it to be a real straight, fine, aligned uh, blade there. I guess those kind of those kind of quick slices on that piece of steel, they align that and then bring that into a sharper piece. There's also like a leather strop. I never got into leather leather strop. I should probably. That's sort of a part of it. I, I really don't understand yet. Um, of like working the leather strap. I've seen people use their belts. Uh, that sort of made the most sense to me if uh, you have that around. But really, like as a, as a thing I'm going to bring out back with me, I haven't really brought that back out. But uh, but yeah, you run the knife backside across the leather, and that's supposed to, I guess, do even more to sharpen it. But at a point, it's like, man, that must be some sh- sharp knife. Have you seen the, the test though like that, you know, where they put it up to their arm hair 
or you know like guys do that a lot i've seen chefs do that but they'll put it up to the hair and then they'll kind of do just a real light little just hardly wisping across the the hairs that stand up on the wrist and that the knife blade is easily able to just kind of cut right through that without a real hesitation or kind of bending it over or knocking it down and then dragging it out that's supposed to be a sharp knife that's like your your litman's test for it is almost razor sharp that's what it seems like you know sharp enough to shave with it seems so um <laughs> i've seen people like work their axes down to that sharpness right you see people with a an axe head and they'll grind that down to such a sharpness that they can take take that axe and cut the hairs off their wrist or i guess shave off their face with their hatchet you know that's a little more uh that's a little more lumberjack than i'm willing to do i'm kind of just hanging out trying to take some pictures trying to stay warm trying to keep the heat going trying to keep my knife sharp so kind of cool stuff but uh yeah thanks for talking about knives and sharpening You can check out more information at billynewmanphoto.com. You can go to billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support if you want to help me out and participate in the value for value model that uh, we're running this podcast with. If uh, you receive some value out of some of the stuff that I was talking about, you're welcome to uh, help me out and send some value my way through the portal at billynewmanphoto.com forward slash support. You can also find more information there about uh, Patreon and the way that I use it if you're interested or, or feel more comfortable using Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Billy Newman photo. I've been working on a few photos, putting out a couple, and uh, it's been going okay. I don't know. Last week I tried to put out a bunch of stuff, which was, which was good. It's cool. I've been trying to go through like a bunch of the photographs that we had that were left over from our September trip. Hey, yeah. And uh, I had a blast going on, uh, you know, like a big, uh, big trip around Eastern Oregon and then back up to Eugene. And we got a bunch of photos from it, but I haven't really been able to cut through most of them um, since we've gotten back. You know, it's really been true for me, too. Yeah. I've been busy. I've been editing uh, like other work photos like wedding photos since uh yeah. we got back from that trip so yeah i know you've been working it's really in this last couple of weeks that i've finally barely lightly started getting into that editing mixed totally into my work editing. i'm trying to do it when i'm out at work and uh yeah i pull up the files and i go through and i'll edit a couple and i'll probably i'll try and edit a couple that i'll try and post um, and that's been a good way to go through it or i'm just kind of chipping at it a little bit at a time and it's been pretty pretty useful so far but um yeah, I think the photo, what was the photo I put up today? I put up an older photo as a Facebook ad. I think I'll talk about that in a minute. What was the other one that I put up? I don't even remember. I think I put up a picture. Oh, I put up the picture of the Alvord at sunrise that we were talking about. And I think we put up uh, the other day on the Facebook page. Right. That was a cool one. I liked, uh, I liked uh, our time. Or, yeah, I kind of like this photo that uh, we have for the, the Billy Newman photo podcast cover. Um, out in the Alvord at sunrise. It was a cool day. I liked uh, hanging out. Or we did a bunch of stuff on the Alvord in yeah. the morning, but it was so much colder this time. It was different. It was only like a week later in the year than the, you know, the yeah, than the other year that we'd gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know that was early September and I know mid September is really almost a different season, but man, yeah, it was a bit cold that day. We had a, like a bunch of, I think it was the day we left, there was a, a lot of clouds up in the air up in the higher elevations, you can see like a lot of texture in the clouds. And then you saw that dust storm kind of blowing yeah. across. Yeah. In the center there. And it, that it's dust weird. storm is cool. It's really cool. Yeah. It's strange how, how big it is out there. You know, you look out and there's, 
this big wall of dust blowing across. But you don't realize that that's just like miles away from you. And it goes on for miles of dust inside of that, but it's just not where you are. And it's so flat. You just see up to that, that change in weather that's up there. It was really weird seeing that. It was weird. Yeah. It was interesting driving around it and sort of seeing, yeah. Cause your, cause your perception of like where it is and how, what the size of it actually is, is really, it's difficult. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was, it's just a weird thing. You think it's closer than it is. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah. It's cool though. It's cool driving up to it. Then you're just like, wow, this is like a whole big foggy, thick weather system, you know? It was very strange. It was, it was just really weird and kind of surreal to like see it. But it was cool out there to, to spot that. Yeah, it was interesting being out there a second time. Oh, yeah. I dug it. I thought it was cool when we went to the uh, the Fields store. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so last time we were out there was 2014. And then and then there was, you know, 2015 and then 2016. And now in 2017, we went back. We went out to Fields um, and you can get like a milkshake. You can get a burger out there. You can get gas out there. I think you can get like a little motel stay out there if you want to. And it's kind of near the border um, by Nevada before you get into Denio. And it's the nearest thing uh, to get any resources outside of the Owl Board. And it was cool when we went down there. I think we looked at the, there's this, this little post that they have for the years past. And it shows like how many burgers they sold. And then, and then like how many milkshakes they sold. And like, I think it was the, what 2013 it was like 5230 something like that and it was kind of close to for the years before that and in 2014 it was about that the year that we went and then the year after we went it was like 6200 it was like a yeah. thousand people a jump or something yeah and then it was like 6500 the next year or something so you're like whoa that bumped up like so much there's a 20% increase in traffic through the Alvord area just since the time that we started coming here yeah. And it was weird. You didn't see that jump in the in the period before. No, no. It was yeah. really consistently like about that same number. Yeah, yeah. It was in like the four thousands or something like that. So hamburger sales. That's my metric to uh <laughs> to figure out <laughs> the traffic through the outboard area. But it was interesting. It was really interesting. Yeah. It was cool. I was kinda of surprised. Now I think... thinking about it, I want a milkshake and I want a cheeseburger. I want this. Hmm. Sounds good. Hmm. Might have to something out. I think uh, I think we might have to wrap this podcast up. <laughs> but in a few, I think we'll do that. But but really though, really though, Marina. Need some milkshakes. Can we get a milkshake? <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> it. <laughs> it was fun though, going out there to fields and yeah. yeah, seeing that, but seeing kind of the, the influence of how much how many people are out there in the Alvord now. Yeah. It seemed like there were way more campers out there on oh my the gosh. Playa, just kind of doing different projects and different kind of things. Lots of photo projects out yeah, there. Yeah. That was so interesting to see. I was surprised to see that. Yeah, a couple of models with little the people assisting with little bounce cards and stuff, trying to throw some light onto them and little like breezy pieces of fabric yeah I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was cool seeing like a few other people set up out there for photo shoots yeah sometimes. yeah and a bunch of campers kind of put out you know on the on the farther perimeter it seemed like there's a, a lot of people that were kind of kind of posted up out there and it didn't seem like there was any particularly big event or something going on it just no like i think that it's just a busy more, more well-traveled yeah so it's our instagram posts we gotta say yeah. It was us. It's got to be us. I'm telling you. <laughs> it must you. have been. The I'm timing. telling you. <laughs> it was us. Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> it was so cool going out there the first time. Shoot. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a blast, but uh, it was kind of fun spotting that stuff. And going out there a second time was really cool. We we spent a couple of days out there 
uh, in the truck in a tent. But yeah, windier, colder. So much windier. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Our tent yeah. filled up with sand during the day. There was no yeah. way to avoid it. Yeah, we it just, just had to let it happen. That's about a little playa stuff. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it just comes in up on the sleeping bags and stuff, just kind of <laughs> blown about. Yeah, it's a really weird thing how it comes together. That must be what Burning Man is closer to. The I've first heard. time we were in the Alvord, it was not as windy. Wow, we were yeah, we were dusty yeah. definitely, but our stuff was much easier for me to clean the yeah. year bef- the year before. I remember that. Yeah, it was it was definitely easier. Way difficult this time. <laughs> It was frustrating, but it was really fine. cool. That it was cool seeing a different kind of weather system kind of moving through there, or having it be more stormy. I did like that. Yeah, heavier cloud. Was kind yeah, of cool. I missed out on having a couple of good sunsets. I missed that. I was disappointed with a couple of the nights because there wasn't a sunset. It was sort of strange, almost. The it sun just sort of disappeared behind a cloud, which was behind the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, it, it just, didn't. It just went to just gray. Went to gray black. right away. Yeah, but there I, wasn't any color in the sky. It was really strange. I was thinking that yeah, it was partly cloudy. I, was, I thought it was broken up enough that we we get a couple too. good sunsets or you know some some good textures as it was fading off. But yeah, we really missed most of it. And uh, yeah, it just definitely dropped to gray and blue pretty fast. And yeah, it wasn't really quite what I was looking for. But some of the textures on that last day they were kind of interesting. It seemed a little bit more stormy. And it was cool on that drive out. I think I had a couple of those uh, posts uh, this last week on that day that we drove out on Highway 78 to go to Crane and then up into Burns. And I think we pulled over a couple of times. And I took a couple of photos. But those are some others that I put up on Instagram here pretty recently. I've been trying to do a bunch on Instagram. I've been trying to do a bunch of like uh, reaching out and, and uh, direct messaging stuff. I've been trying to do like a little bit more networking stuff overall too, which has been working a bit. And I've been trying to work on my story too, like the Instagram story. Um, and I think you've been noticing a little bit, like I, I try yeah. to like, uh, put up each of the posts that I would put up in the day. I try and, uh, like copy those in Instagram and then, and then post them over into the story also. And then I've also been messing around with, uh, adding like your location to your story and oh. a hashtag to it, which is something you can pull up from the filters. If you swipe up on the, on the thing when you're making it and you can add a couple of those things, but that like puts it into the location, it tags it there. And I think if you do a search for stories. Like there's one that was put in like Eugene and there's like a bunch of people that, that hit it throughout the day oh, just wow. because it was tagged with a location. So I'm going to try and do that more with that, some of the location stuff and use that a little bit more interestingly to try and get people to see some of those posts. That's really cool. I didn't know that was a feature. I have, I need to get into the Instagram story stuff. There's a lot you I'm can do there. Yeah. I don't really understand it well enough either, but there is a good bit of traction similar to like how Snapchat, you know, you just kind of like keep watching the video. It keeps moving sure. sort of thing, and it's really visual. Um, so I like a lot of that stuff and you really get in to see what people are doing um, in sort of a, a really light way, like what Snapchat's used for now and really what Snapchat was or pardon what Instagram was like years ago back in 2010 2011 when i first got on um it was it was really uh, like a lightweight thing where you just take take a picture of anything was sort of what right, it was for yeah. you take take a picture of your food take a picture of a drink take a picture of just some silly place that you're at sort of a thing but it wasn't really a, any kind of highfalutin level of professionalism or edited posts that would go up um it was just you know a square only right yeah. and it was only the really rough filters that you could apply <laughs> from your cell phone photos uh, so yeah, I remember, I remember those days at Instagram too, and it's weird to kind of see how it's progressed a little bit, but similarly, like the stories are a really lightweight way of just kind of showing anything that you're doing or kind of expressing like the, the moments of your life and like Snapchat, everybody's kind of familiar, I guess, with the, the language of Snapchat nowadays. 
but it's cool. There's a lot of distribution on the Instagram stories. Like there's a, there's a good bit of people that it shows do see a lot of the, uh, the content that you put up there. So that's been kind of fun to be messing around with. And yeah, I'm trying to like take those little like snapshots, yeah. little like screenshots on my phone of the Instagram app showing like the, the photo that I'm featuring on that, that day. And then, you know, I throw that in there and I put the, um, the location and a hashtag or something with it. And that's been a cool way to kind of test some stuff out. And, uh, yeah, I've been trying to mess around with that, but trying to keep that full. I think they, that I've kind of heard from marketing stuff that like, you want to try and put in about six a day, which seems like oh, a lot. Sure. Yeah. It's like a lot of stuff, but yeah, like every couple hours you're trying to get like some one or two second thing up. And that's why I try and like kind of punch it up with a few of the, the photo posts as screenshots, uh, so that those are like remarketed. And if I do like a podcast or something like that. I try to put up some kind of notifier in there of it. And then like a couple little posts to the photos I'm working on that day or the camera I'm using or something like that. Ooh, we should do something of uh, podcasting here. Be a oh, podcasters yeah, and stuff. yeah, it would be cool. But yeah, I mean, thanks so much for doing like a bunch more podcasting stuff. I'm so happy to be doing it. Ooh, talking I'm, about yeah, I really like being a little in project. It's more audio stuff. I think it's really cool. Audio is going to explode in the next yeah. like, year or two. Yeah, you are it's totally really, right about it. It's totally going to be like the thing of the future. Old radio is going <laughs> to be the new future. So I think it's like really the thing that's going to be like taken off. And it's what I've been thinking about for years. Or, you know, the like audio podcasting stuff was the coolest. Yeah, you've really been on top of it. A little bit. I need to be doing more stuff with it. You know, radio is a weird thing. Like radio and like uh, and like college radio stuff's really weird. Getting into podcasting is sort of a strange thing at the beginning, but just like getting in and doing it, you know, it feels like a strange thing. I don't know if it's felt like that for you a little bit. It is uh, really difficult to adjust to. You're yeah. a really good speaker oh, to thanks, begin sweetie. with, I'd say, and I'm not. No, so. <laughs> you're doing very, very well. Thank you. I appreciate you doing thanks the podcast for... with me for doing it with me for a few years now i should be a little bit better <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a lot better and, and i remember like a couple of my first ones i was like well but I'm doing it's, so hard. <laughs> it's like a muscle that you build i've heard other people mm -hmm. talk about it that way but speaking in a mic you got to do it for like a hundred hours and then it's like you're still bad but mm -hmm. you you can kind of do it a little it's a weird thing yeah i don't know but that's why i want to try to i'm still under 100 <laughs> hours right so we're doing all those little short podcasts yeah i think it's gonna be great i think it's gonna be cool yeah. doing a show every night no it'll be a, it'll be great practice for us and in 24 months if we kind of keep doing podcast stuff like we want to yeah yeah that's really going to develop into something that i hope that we're proud of yeah I think really so. fun. but yeah i think we started doing this billion and photo one like in 2015 that's when I first yeah. started setting up some microphones and like this laptop is an audio podcasting thing. So it's cool to have it go through a couple of different iterations and sort of develop a bit and get to use the studio more and get to develop it more. But I think it's going to be cool putting up more stuff and using like this on our website, on iTunes and on YouTube, on Facebook. Everywhere. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I think it's really cool. Thanks for being my producer. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> training me to be a podcast producer. I'm so excited. Ooh, yeah. I want to get into uh, some sound clips with you later. Oh, yeah. Let's cut in some sound. Some stuff. That'd be a cool idea. We should goof around with that this week. We should try and find some cool sound stuff and try and settle on some stuff. Yeah. We need Next to pick, week, this week, I don't know. Pick some sounds for our shows. Ooh, yeah. We got to get fresh sounds. I want to do more. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I'm going to do just a little bit, but I'm going to do just a little production. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I really, I mean, maybe it's really bad. I like that part. Oh, yeah. No, I do too. I love it. Yeah. Together. I like it. All the other podcasts that we hear with, you know, produ production elements that come in that, you know, 
that makes it. It's great. I'll, I dig it. So uh, it'll be fun for us to kind of do some of the same stuff with it. Um, but I think uh, along with all the content that I've been putting up, like on Instagram, like the content that I'm putting up, we've been just now starting to mess around with boosting posts and with working with Facebook and the Facebook page system and the advertising system. And I, I think I've been learning a lot from that just in the last two weeks or so. Yeah, I think it's so cool and valuable that you've been getting into that. Oh, yeah. I think it's definitely super valuable. And, and it seems like it's really effective. It's really which effective. I like about it. Yeah. It's cool. For the day and day, for the age that it is right now, for the attention that Facebook has, like for the population that Facebook has using it constantly, Twitter, Twitter is not the deal. Mm -mm. Facebook is. Facebook is great. Every grandma, every dad, everybody hits Facebook one time a day or a couple of times a day. Really, the data shows a lot of times a day. <laughs> and so there's just so many opportunities for an impression of your ad to be seen or for your content to get promoted to the right audience. And there's so many abilities for you to target people with the data that Facebook has. So you can really get down and find audiences that you couldn't have before. Even just friends of friends sort of a thing. That's a right. great audience for me to start with. But just being able to like uh, put your put your stuff in there and get your content promoted to your entire audience. That's a new thing. Or not a new, well, it's a new thing for me, I suppose. But it's an, because Facebook once allowed you to promote that much content to your entire social feed, you used to get that much, a lot of engagement. But now because of the algorithm, it kind of tailors unpaid content back a lot right uh, in the fee if it's not being shared a ton or if it's not super interesting and then now to get it to get it higher ranked in the feed then you know you pay this five dollar amount and you get you know a value of that for your impressions that you you buy and it's cool it's a good ad advertising system for boosted posts and uh there's there's other stuff that i'm not really sure about that i want to try and talk to more people about to put some of those pieces together but i'm trying to understand some of the ideas around working like a an advertising campaign. So there's boosting posts, which is just the content that you would, you would post regularly into your feed. I'm trying to do that with like, like portfolio level photographs that we have, or, or just other, other fun photo content that we can put up. Like, uh, the most successful one so far was one of the first ones I did of, uh, of a cabin in the woods up in the Wallala mountains, beautiful spot, beautiful little cabin area up next to a really cool, uh, kind of Alpine looking mountain. And uh, so I get why it was kind of a, an attractive photo to be advertised, but it was interesting, yeah, like how effective it was. It was cool to kind of see how much of an audience it could get to if uh, if it was promoted a little bit. And it's interesting too, if you put a good bit of money behind even a single post, it really delivers it to a, a, a really large audience. And if that audience like appreciates what you're doing, like you do get a drawback of people interacting with the content or people liking your page. And all of that kind of eventually turns into the value of a larger brand or a larger network. And there is like a lot of value in that, that I think we could build maybe over the next 24, 36 months. Yeah. While well, it's, it's still good. It's still yeah. going to be a good deal. You know, like Google AdWords now, it's not really mm. as good as it was back in like 2000. In 2000, we should, we should do Google AdWords. But in like 2017, we should try to do a bunch in these Facebook advertisements, Facebook boosted posts. I'm really excited for it. I think it's a good way that we could build a cool part of our content media photo business. Yeah, I love it. I think it's so cool being able to, because this yeah. is something we talk about being the challenge of that, of being able to actually find and connect oh, yeah. with an audience. Yeah. And it's really cool being able to actually reach more people who would want to see our stuff. Yeah. There's, there's some math to do on it, but like paying for distribution is, is really worth it. Like, absolutely. It is cheaper if you think about it for time 
Mm-hmm. Like say it would take 10 years to build an audience. That would be an equivalent size that you could make some money on. But like you would make a lot more money if you made that audience in two years yeah, and then worked that audience for eight years. Does right. that make sense? It's like some yeah. kind of like compound math of how big something is. I don't really understand it, but it, maybe that's a salesman talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems like uh, it seems like the benefit of it would be now and like working faster now. And I'm really excited for it. I think it's cool. I've been trying out like a couple different ads and different promoted pieces and stuff. And uh, it's kind of interesting figuring out like what works better, where to target stuff. And uh, I got to figure out more stuff about that. But it's definitely something just to research. I wish I knew more about it intuitive or you know just like from the start but there's there's definitely some stuff that we should try i wish i could afford it is really the thing i want to try and put you know like fifty dollars a hundred dollars behind like each of these more impressive posts or more the the things that seem to like catch on better with people sure yeah and i want to try and like put like a bunch behind it and then try and like get a better market demographic selected so that new people get to see some of this work or see some of these photographs and then uh you know like come on or you know join or communicate and then I also want to do some stuff like when we transition into selling more photo packages to like uh, generating leads with Facebook advertisements or generating uh, like contacts. There's, there's an option to like have people like schedule a meeting with you. Oh, right. So, you know, all sorts of things of, uh, of calls to actions that you can you can use in the in some of these advertisement systems. So there's a lot of things that, that you could pay for that you could probably really generate some business with, which is a cool thing. Yeah. I yeah. think it's really interesting to be getting into more. Yeah. I, it's interesting to get into it for sure. And it's fun, like as a photographer and as people trying to do media stuff, just the, the different kind of opportunities, just kind of some of the things you're learning about. It's fun. Yeah. I think it's really cool. It's weird see, paying oh. Facebook. Ugh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool. I think, you know, like getting advertised, like it's real. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because it is, it is real. I love yeah. that it works. Yeah. We got to buy some marketing stuff and uh, it's been coming together. I think it's been really cool. It is cool. So you're, you've been doing the Facebook ads and you've also checked out the Instagram ads bit too? I've been trying more Instagram ads and it's interesting with the Instagram ads. Like I, I ran the promotions. It's interesting how it's set up because Facebook owns Instagram. Right. And so some of that's connected. I've been trying to do a bunch from the phone. The phone's been great and uh, just trying to like develop more, more systems for that and how it would work. But you can do promotions just from Instagram, which works pretty well if you'd like to do that. I think they start at $3.00. And it's probably like a $5 CPM. I think it's a cost per thousand, which is pretty similar to how it is on Facebook. Um, But what I've been doing is using like the Facebook pages app and the the Facebook ads app that you can get for your iPhone. Yeah. And I've been trying to like manage the advertisements from those two apps um, for both Facebook and Instagram. There's there's an option where you can uh, like simultaneously run this ad on Instagram that you have just from just from your Facebook oh, ads sure. program. Yeah. And so when you're creating an ad for your Facebook page, you can click, just slide this lever over. It says simultaneously run this ad on Instagram. And I think it, you know, kind of picks the, the market and, you know, sends it out. Yeah. And it seems like it's a pretty effective way to do it. If Instagram's information about the demographics of the person are correct, what I've noticed sometimes is that you put some money into it and it doesn't really seem quite as effective on instagram given the amount of attention that's on instagram so there's probably some tricks around advertising on instagram uh, i think it maybe is like a little bit more i don't know i just don't really have the the keys to it but it seems like just because they were separate social networks uh it seems like instagram maybe doesn't know as much about a person like how old um, they are or mm-hmm. like should they see the ad that i'm promoting to them 
Yeah. It seems like it gets it a little a little wishy washy sometimes. Facebook is Facebook really tight. Have and, all of the information. And what that means is that your cost per impression is lower. So it's more effective for mm-hmm. your money, I think. Is is I think a little bit of what I've been understanding. But I'm not really sure. I'm just kind of experimenting. I've done you know, twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm trying to figure out some stuff around it. But it's been really cool kind of uh, getting closer to Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of the Billy Newman Photo Podcast. Hope you guys check out some stuff on BillyNewmanPhoto.com. A few new things up there. Some stuff on the homepage. Some good links to other other outbound sources. Some, some links to books. Some links to some podcasts. Links to some blog posts. All pretty cool. But yeah, check it out at BillyNewmanPhoto.com. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of the podcast. Talk to you next time.